Good morning, Northside Baptist Church. Hey, that was excellent. Yeah, go ahead and give a big round of applause. Absolutely. Hey, while you're doing it, would you give them a big round of applause? Did they not do awesome? They are absolutely, they rock, man. This is my third time, and I was like, holy cow, this is just, it's like it just keeps coming. It's just awesome. But I want to say thank you for allowing me to be here this morning. I want to obviously thank Pastor Rocky um, for giving me this privilege, this opportunity. It's so great uh, spending time with, with your pastor and and, and hearing his heart and how he loves the ministry, the calling, and, and all those sort of things that comes with this. I, I just really appreciate this, just being able to see um, his vision come into play and, and all that sort of thing. I want to take this moment to say thank you to uh, the Appalachian Mission team, Nancy. And, and uh, what's that guy's name, Nancy? He, she married some bo- bo- bozo or something. Jim, um, thank you, Jim and Nancy. I love you. You know I do. But, but, but your ministry to our area is is amazing and I've said this every service I've said this to Rocky and, and, and some of you but I just want to share with you from a pastor's perspective we get people coming in all the time that want to fix us you know and, and your people come in and you love us um, the, the difference there's a major difference you're not on a mission you're on a spiritual journey and, and you can see that it impacts lives it it's built a relationship that's lasted years and from the bottom of my heart let me just represent our people and let me just say thank you, and I want to give you a clap, okay? Thank you, patting on your back for what you do. And, and I know if you do that for one, you do that for all. And so I'm very thankful that, that, that you guys are so willing to, um, uh, to do that and to have that kind of, uh, of a heart. That's awesome. Thank you for that. But why I'm here today is because two things. I want to encourage you with my story. I think my story will encourage you. But the selfish reason is because I need you to pray for me. I'm not out of the woods yet, um, by any means, or stretch of the imagination. Your prayers is why I'm here today. Um, you can't put a price tag, you can't put a number on your life. Can I get a witness of that? Your prayers, and you're going to hear this all throughout this, the prayers of the people are why I'm here today. And so I want to encourage you to, after you hear this, to keep praying for me. What you're going to get here in the next few minutes is a story that's taken well over a year, but God has specifically has used the past year of my life to speak this sort of end to me and let me learn this sort of thing. And so it, it's a combination of a lot of different things. But there, beginning us off, I, I'm going to jump the gun a little bit, but, but while we were in the midst of this year, there was a time specifically where I could not hear God speak. Um, I, I didn't study my Bible because it didn't do any good. I, I wasn't capable of reading let alone understanding, comprehending, digesting, and the things that have to come with that. I couldn't hear, understand. I couldn't hear God, uh, uh, and, and I couldn't receive what God was saying to me. I couldn't speak anything that was godly. Now, that's pretty good for a pastor, wouldn't you agree? <laughs> that's pretty tough. You know, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to, you know, it wasn't happening. But God started using my wife to speak through devotions, and she would read them to me at night. And, and there were two things that we got out of those devotions that really became an anchor point to us and for us. And the first one's this. If you've got your, anything to write down, I'd encourage you to write this down. But, but the first one's this. If you think God has forgotten you, then you've forgotten who God is. You see, I thought God had forgotten me. And I was in that process of thinking, Lord, where did you go? I can't hear you, see you. I don't, I, I don't understand. And the reality was God showed me through this process that he hadn't forgotten me. I forgot who he was. I forgot the promises that came with him, that his character, his integrity, all those sort of things are not built on, on, on my circumstances. Those promises are built on Christ and the foundation in Christ Jesus and him alone. So they stand, they stand. And so today, if you've forgotten who God is, I'm going to encourage you just to remember 
who God is. He's not forgotten you. Would you remember him? The next one is this. Faith, if it means, if faith is anything, faith means waiting. Faith means patience. Faith means endurance. Can I get a witness? It's not easy. If you're faithing something, if you're walking in faith, that it's not an easy walk. And so through this process, what we, what we, Alice and I have understood is that, that um, if he did it once, can we believe that he did it again, that he would do it again? And that's kind of where we are right now. You see, I was cancer-free for a moment, but now I have the tumors. If God did it once, will he do it again? And the answer is amen. Hey, you better believe he will. Absolutely, he will. And so we're walking in that today. And those are two foundations, if you will, that, that everything else that we're talking about today is about. So I hope these words encourage you. But most importantly, I want to say this again. I'm doing this for your prayers, okay? I want to reap a harvest of prayers. But on June 24th of 2021, I go into the hospital to have gallbladder surgery. Now, I have no signs. I have no symptoms. I have nothing that would indicate that I've got cancer. As a matter of fact, on June 20th of 2021, this is how I looked, okay? I, this is how I looked, and, except I had a little less gray hair. But uh, the, the, there, was no, there was nothing there. And so we go in, they do a scope, they find out I got a bleeding ulcer. Then they remove my gallbladder. And the doctor that was a surgeon was also my physician. And I'd been talking to him about some pain in my left side right here. And so he decided to do some exploratory stuff, and he did. And by doing that, he found out I had cancer. And so he goes back and he tells my wife, I've got cancer. And along with the short there, I've got stage four colon cancer. And so um, we, we, we go back home. Alice thinks that I'm quiet because he's told me this, and I'm sort of trying to digest it. I'm quiet in the car because I just woke up from anesthesia, and I don't know what it does to you, but I can't wake up when they put me under. I'm smacking my face, throwing water on my, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And my phone rings. If you've been to Middlesbrough, you know where Kroger is. We turn into Kroger. And as we're turning into Kroger, the doctor tells me, he said, did, did, do you remember the conversation that, that, that we had? And I was like, no, sir. And he said, I didn't think you did. So he begins telling me that I had cancer. Now, listen, I was a good patient. I was listening to my doctor. But simultaneously, I was also listening to my heavenly father. And in the process, God spoke to me in that moment, and he said this to me. He said, Mark, I'm going to use this for my good. And so we believe that through all of these hardships and difficult times. You see, this hasn't been easy at all. By any stretch of the imagination. But one thing we do believe and we do know is that God is using it for his good. And so I'm going to give you a few things today that will help you understand how God is using this thing for his good. And, then, and the first one is this. It's a principle. Again, I, I'm, I'm writing some of this stuff down. And, and, and I know this may not make sense to you. But there's more principles that I've learned from this than three. But these are kind of the three ones that I think will speak to you. But the first one is this. God will never leave you because your, vision, your value isn't in what you can do. Your value is in whose you are. We need to understand that. Now, some of you are going to think, yeah, I know God will never leave me. Well, I want you to do that. Because it's not about what you bring to the table. It's what God has already done at the cross. And your value was established at the cross. And you become a son or a daughter of Jesus, uh, 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 of God, through Jesus. And because the fact that you are in Christ, that's why you have the promise. That's why you have this sort of stuff. And so I want to share with you a few things that God did to let us understand, to let us see that he was in my world or in our world. He'd never leave me nor forsake me. Well, how do you know that? Well, the first thing that came, comes to mind is this. My wife wrote this awesome letter. It made me, can you believe my wife would make, you, make me cry? Isn't she mean? No, it was actually a good letter, okay? It was, a, it was a nice letter. It was a good letter. It was such a powerful letter that the, the doctor in Vanderbilt, the, the oncologist, physician, over all of it, all over it, she's like the main one. 
responded to that email in 30 minutes. And, and God got us open this door where that we, it was going to be like months before we could get in there. We were in there that next week seeing the doctor. Alice had a cousin that moved from Michigan to, to Nashville about a year prior to that. We were able to stay at that house, at their house, instead of a hotel room. You know, when, when you're going through chemo at a hotel, is not a good thing, right? But we were able to stay at that house, uh, and, and we were going every other week. So, like, we bought a car in October. We've already got 23, almost 24,000 miles on it since October because we're driving back and forth, right? But the, God showed up by letting us get to Vanderbilt. He showed up by um, letting us have a place to stay, He's like our bed and breakfast place. And then another one, I'm going to move on after this, but another one is this, that um, my wife and my mom were talking, and they were worried, how's this financially going to work out? We, we weren't certain what the church would do. Now, listen, New Heights Church has been so good to me. They've done everything that, that I, they provided my needs, but at that time, we weren't certain that they could or would. And they're worried about that. And so about an hour after they've had this discussion that I wasn't aware of, we got a knock at the door, and there was a pastor friend of mine in the, local, in the area, local church, and he brings me a check for $5,000. Yeah. Turn to your name and say, that's real money. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Teacher, teacher class. That's my te- I'm a teacher, okay? So when I say turn to your neighbor and say, we're, we're going to actually do that, okay? So I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. And you're going to turn to your neighbor and say, that's real money, okay? One, two, three. That's real. Perfect. Yay. All right. Good job. You got it. All right. So we got to interact here, okay? I got to interact with you. I'll preach better. I promise I'll keep your attention better if you'll follow with me there, okay? All right. So. So um, uh, uh, 5,000, and all of a sudden we, re- we start recognizing, okay, God's in this, God's with us. God's never going to leave us nor forsake us. So if you've got your Bibles, I hope you do, turn to John chapter 21. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it's the New Testament. The very last chapter of John is 21. And, and um, the reason John 21 is there is because Jesus, or Peter has just denied Jesus three times. And John 21 is dedicated to the restoration of Peter. And, and, and Jesus wanted to restore Peter to his mission and his ministry. And he also wanted to use Peter as an example to the other disciples to let them know, hey, it's about restoration. It's about me helping you get back to where that you need to be to get back focused. Because the reality is today, there are people within my voice that can hear my voice, me being one of them, that need to be reminded that God is the God of restoration. And God will restore you and put you back on mission for him even when we fail. You probably know this story quite well. This is the story where Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter said, yeah. And Jesus said, well, feed my sheep. So you know that story, right? I got one verse I want to pick out for you. It's verse 12. Here's what it says. Jesus said to them, you might want to circle that, come and have breakfast. Now, some of you are going to go, well, that's powerful. That's <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, good. Let's go have breakfast. Well, let me tell you why I chose this verse, okay? The reason that I chose this verse is because I felt like Peter. No, I didn't do anything morally or ethically wrong, but I felt like a failure. When we were in Pineville, Kentucky, God called us to go launch a church in Pineville, Kentucky. And if you don't know what Pineville's like, you just need to look it up, okay? Pineville's this really, really, really small town. And it, it, it's a hard nut to crack, so to speak. It's hard to get in there and get involved and see ministry. We would baptize, you know, 20 people in a year, but we just couldn't great make the traction because we were new, and we were not from Pineville. And if you're not from Pineville, you're just not going to get in the door, okay? And so we tried our best, and I just got beat up all the time. And God eventually moved us to Middlesboro, where we built a new building, and, 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 and our ministry is going great. I couldn't tell you, I was so glad to get out of Pineville, but leaving, I felt like a failure. I felt like I messed up. So during this process, when we just discovered we had cancer, I had cancer, 
God started bringing people back into my life that I thought I had failed. One of them was an attorney. We were at a restaurant eating one night, and um, a, a, an attorney came up to me. Now, understand, this is a smart gentleman, okay? He's not, this is not some hillbilly or hick or whatever you want to call him, okay? This is actually a legitimate <laughs> smart guy, okay? And he is bawling, leaning his head on my shoulder, bawling. And you remember when we yelled up? And I was like, yeah, I remember. I thought I had messed this thing up, you know? And he was telling me how that I had, God had used me to minister to him. And what I said and how I did it and all that sort of stuff was exactly what needed to happen. And, and he just wanted me to know that God had blessed him through that situation and all of that. And I'm sitting here going, oh, wow. I mean, you could have knocked me over the feather. There would be times and moments where I'd get cards about, or, 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 or phone calls or whatever about people where I thought, man, I should have turned left when I turned right. And they were like, listen, what you did was exactly what needed to happen. And God blessed you. And God blesses me because of that. So why am I saying that? God was able to turn what I thought was failures into wins and victories. And the guilt and the shame and the failure label was removed from my back. Some of you today are carrying that. You're carrying guilt and shame and the, the label failure around with you today right now. And I believe with all my heart, one of the reasons I'm here is because God brought me here to share with you that he is using all things for your good. And what you have deemed as a failure, God is saying, that's good. I'm going to use that for my glory. I'm going to use that for my glory. And so I want you to understand something. If you'll just surrender to him right now. You can pray right now and just say, God, thank you. Would you take this load? And the reality is he's going to say yes. Mark up here was a, 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 uh, in the military, right? Where are you, Mark? There you are, right there, okay. In the military, right? If I were to ask Mark, where would you put your best warrior most likely mark would say in the worst location what are the most difficult location that's where the best needs to go would you agree with that okay why are you struggling with what you're struggling with right now the reason that you're struggling very well could be that that you don't recognize this is a spiritual battle in your life and you are a warrior representing jesus christ to your world and what you're up against you can't see it you can't feel it you can't hear it you can't smell it but there is definitely a spiritual adversary that is against you trying to keep you from doing the very things that God has called you to do or being that person that God has called you to be. And God has you there because you're his person. He said, that's where I had to come to. I had to recognize that this is a spiritual thing. What has come against me physically right now is not a physical battle. It is a spiritual battle. And God had to hit me over the head to make me realize that what I'm dealing with is not physical, it's spiritual. How do you know that, Mark? Well, here's some of the things that started happening. We would have people come to my house. They wouldn't go knock, to the door, knock on my door. They would just get out of their car, stand up like this right here. What do you think they were doing? Praying. Praying for me. They would be people walk by at 5 in the morning. How do you know that? I don't know. I was asleep. No, I'm just kidding. You know, you'd see them, and they would just stop, and they would pray for me. We would walk to different locations. We'd be in a totally different city for people shouldn't know me. And someone would come up at a hospital or at a, at a wedding or at a, a restaurant or whatever, and someone inevitably would come up to me and say, I think I know you. And I'd be like, okay. And they'd go, well, what's your name? And i said, well, you came to me. What's your name? And they're like, you tell me yours first. And I'm like, okay. That's, uh, no, it, it, literally, I'm telling you, it's the truth. And i said, okay, my name's Mark Elkins. Oh, we know you. And they'd say, oh, you're the Facebook pastor. Or, or you're this or you're that. And, 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 and what I started realizing was, People were praying for me because this is a spiritual battle. 
We were at a, rest, at a gas station one time getting gas. This guy walked up to me. And my chemo brain, I can't remember names very well at all. And so I often would look at people, and if they start smiling at me, I think, okay, they know me. So I act like I know them. You know what I mean? Don't tell me you've never done that either. Come on. <laughs> so this guy comes up to me, and I'm thinking, okay, uh, I think I know him. I don't know if I know him. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. But he started talking to me. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm an evangelist at heart. Um, and, and so I started trying to turn this into a Jesus conversation, you know? And as I did that, he goes, oh, I want you to know I'm a Christian. Yeah, I've been saved and baptized. I go to this local church, blah, blah, blah. And I said, what's the name of it? He told me the name. I said, hey, I'm speaking there Sunday night. I'm going to tell my story. He said, I know. We've been praying for you. There it is again. We've been praying for you. So it took me forever to realize it was a spiritual battle. What I want to share with you right now is don't be as hard-headed as I was or am. This is a spiritual battle. And the way you deal with spiritual things is with spiritual warfare. You pray, you put the armor on, and you battle against that, okay? The rest of the story goes like this. Um, the doctors told me, after they found out all that went, happened, all the tests and different things that went happen, they, they told me, they said, you'll always be on chemo. They said, um, you can't have surgery, and you're going to lose your hair. Well, it's not a wig. It has turned gray, but it's not turned loose yet. And they were wrong. Um, I did have surgery. I have been off chemo for a little bit at some point. And so um, uh, long and the short, God is answering your prayers. My, my surgery, I went through nine treatments. And every time I would go through the treatment, the, the, um, the doctors would just be blown away by the numbers, the, 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 the numbers on the cancer cells and the tumors were shrinking and all this sort of stuff. Nashville all the way to, 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 to Knoxville from where I'd see my doctors. And, and they, would just, they, they would say something like this, you're performing so well. And my story to them would be this, I'm flesh just like everybody else. The chemo treatment is the same chemo treatment as everybody else's chemo treatment. The X variable, the one thing that cannot be changed or, or, or that's different than me than the rest of your patients, as I've got 40,000 people praying for me, and my Father in Heaven hear those prayers, and he's answering it. Amen. That's what I would say. Thank, come on, church. I think you can do better than that. Amen. That's right. That's right. Amen. Amen. So they shrunk so much that we get a phone call from Vanderbilt, one of the doctors, um, and they say, hey, we want to do this surgery. Are you willing to do it? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, no, you don't understand. This is going to be a really hard surgery. And I'm like, hey, let's go for it. If the Lord opened this door, I'm going to walk through it. I'm always bringing the Lord in, you know what I mean, as much as I can. And they're like, okay, let's do this. So it was a 10 to 12-hour surgery. I think it was a little bit over 10 hours. They went in. They removed the tumor out of my colon. They removed the tumors that were all over from, from this side of my back all the way to this side. All through here, there was a layer of fat around my abdominal lining. They removed that, and they removed five tumors out of my, uh, my liver. And they told me it's going to take you 10 days to recover. It took me six. The Lord blessed again. And so we go home. And um, let, me, let me just skip forward. I'll go back to that in just a minute. We go home. But then um, we go through some maintenance chemo and all that sort of stuff. And it ended up coming back. We went through four more treatments um, a few weeks ago, two months ago. Uh, we went to uh, Vanderbilt just this past Tuesday. And, and the blessing is that we have to go through four more treatments. It's stable, which is a good thing. We have to go through four more chemo treatments, and then, Lord willing, if it continues to be stable or goes away, they're going to do surgery to remove whatever's left. So I praise God for that. If you don't mind, would you just put your hands together one more time and say thank you, Jesus, for that, right? Yeah, amen, amen, amen. Chemo was hard, but, man, the surgery, recovering from that surgery was so difficult. It was so challenging. It was so overwhelming that, that it, it, um, um, it, it just about, about did us in. But the reality is this. This is what I discovered. That my value isn't what I can do. My value is in Christ Jesus alone. 
in, in, in John 21, what you will see, if you'll go back and look at this, is that you will see that Peter did some things. Um, he went fishing. He went back to his old ways. When he saw Jesus and recognized Jesus, he jumped out of his boat and swam, okay? So let me ask you, are there any fishermen in here? Well, raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand. Oh, yeah, there we go. Good. Yay, good. I love fishing. I've never seen a fisherman jump out of his boat to beat the boat to the dock. <laughs> it just doesn't happen, right? So, so here, can you just imagine, just play with me for a minute, okay? I'm chasing a rabbit, all right? Can you imagine all the other disciples in the boat? Peter's going to be this zealous guy. He jumps out of the boat and he's swimming and the boys are going, hey, Peter, <laughs> you, you want to get in? Okay, all right, go ahead. <laughs> and then they're there and they're waiting on him, walking in, you know, okay, that's Mark's thought. Sorry about that. Anyway, so he swims. When he gets to shore, he hears Jesus say, hey, I got fish right here, but would you go get the ones that you've already caught? Who goes and does that? Who, who goes and gets the fish? Some of you are okay, but come on, guys. Who goes and gets the fish? Peter. Peter runs and gets the fish, right? Why? Let me tell you what God spoke to me. The reason Peter did that is because he messed up and he felt like he needed to earn God's love back. The reason Peter was doing that wasn't because he loved God so much. It was because he felt like he'd lost the love for God and he needed to earn it back. You see, the tension here is that we feel like that we need to earn our place in God's position or a position with God. And the reality is Jesus is simply inviting us to breakfast on the seashore. We want to earn it, earn it, earn it, earn it. And all the time Jesus is going, just come and eat with me. Spend some time with me. You say, as a pastor, I was 24-7. You guess my wife. I was wide open. You think I'm kind of active right now? This is me on chemo, okay? <laughs> Imagine what I would be like without chemo. All right, yeah, it's lots of fun. Um, anyway, my, I'd be 24-7, and, and I'd work 50, 60 hours a week. That wouldn't be enough. I'd also get involved with ball games. I'd call, do all that sort of stuff. I was constantly doing things. Why? Because I wanted to have that opportunity to share the love of Christ with people. I was always doing, I was always doing, I was always doing. Let me just stop right here and remind you or ask you to do something for me. Pray for your pastors. Pastor Rocky, absolutely. But even others about it, because I promise you this, they feel this weight. There's always one more phone call. There's always one more text, one more email, one more visit, one more hospital visit, one more something. And you never lose that weight. So pray for them. And not only pray for them, love them. Be nice to them. They, they do do work hard, okay? I promise you that, okay? But the reality is that, that that was me. I was a doer. I was a doer. I was a doer. And I found myself sitting on the couch, having to sit on the couch, say this with me, eight months. Say it with me. Eight months. Now, some of you go, man, I'd, be, I'd love that. Yeah, you would for about the first two or three days sitting on the couch, but I promise you, after that, you're going to be like, man, I need to get out of here. I was there for eight, and I could do nothing. There was times I couldn't even think for myself. There were times where that, 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 that um, I mean, Alice, she'll tell you, she thought she lost me mentally because I wasn't able to communicate. I just kind of sit there and stare off into space, and, 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 man, this, and I learned this lesson from this process. God spoke to me through this. He said, I've never left you, and look, you've not, able, you've not been able to do anything for me. I've never left you. You've brought nothing to the table, and I'm still here. Why? Because God loves us. Not because what we can do, because what he's already done. Because of what he's already done. So let me ask you this, this question. How would you define your relationship with Jesus right now? Would it be one of these things where you're doing, 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 doing? I got to do, I got to do, I got to prove myself. I got to prove myself to this person. I got to prove myself to that person. I got to show them I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Or would you say, yeah, I'm more like... The person who loves to go to the beach, any women here like to go to the beach and have breakfast at the beach with Jesus. That's awesome. 
how would you define your relationship? Because the reality is when you learn to have breakfast with Jesus at the beach, he gives you the energy and the strength and opens the doors that you waste all your energy, strength, and resources on. He's, he already does it for you. How do you know that, Mark? I'm here right now. What you're assuming is that this is the way I am. What you don't realize is that the majority of my time is on the couch. The majority of my time I'm fighting just to be able to try to communicate with my family because the chemo does so much damage to my strength. You see, I'm a living, walking testimony about the risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when he provides me the strength to do this sort of thing, I'm able to do it and I, and I, I share as often as I can. So turn with me one time, one more time to Matthew chapter 11. And as you're turning, this is about John the Baptist. And John is in prison. He's in jail. And um, nobody, he, he doesn't see Jesus. He doesn't hear, feel Jesus. He doesn't hear Jesus. He doesn't know Jesus. He can't reach out. Jesus can't reach out to him. But in John, or in Matthew chapter 11, verse 2, I'm trying to hurry, guys. I apologize. I need to take a break here. Take a breather, I should say. The Bible says that when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent by word his disciples, and he said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered and said, go tell John what you hear and see. John was in jail. He, he, couldn't, he, he could not do what he once was doing. He couldn't hear Jesus. He couldn't recognize the move of Jesus. He's all by himself in prison. He's surrounded by these four walls, and he knows if Jesus doesn't do something, he's going to die. Now, John had at some point to be thinking something along the lines of this. I know Jesus. I've seen Jesus heal people that he doesn't know. Surely he'll come and heal me rescue me I know Jesus I love Jesus I've seen Jesus do things for for people that don't love him back surely he'll come I'm his relative surely he'll come and the reality is Jesus never came and John ultimately died right John ultimately died and so what does that say to us what does that say to where we are well the reality for me was this there was a time when Jesus didn't show up for me I was on the couch um, um, my mind was 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 just not right I wanted to be healed. I was ready to be healed. I believed. You can't say it was a lack of faith on my part. People were speaking stuff into me, praying for me. I knew that Jesus was going to do something. We were seeing it with the, with the, with the test and the results. And, and um, I was ready to stand on top of, in Nashville, Tennessee, they got a building. It's an AT&T building. It's got uh, antennas going up. And it looks like the Batman building, okay? Everybody, we call it the Batman. I was ready to stand up on the Batman building with a big horn and declare to the whole world that Jesus healed me. Okay, and now you understand something. Those people are sort of anti-who I am. They're anti-Christian, if you will, okay? And I was ready to do it because I got this martyr syndrome anyway. I don't care. I, I was ready to go do that. And when that didn't happen the way that I thought it should, when I thought it should, I found myself back in jail. I found myself back in the four walls, sitting on the couch, not able to do what I wanted to do. And this is what I found to be true. You ready? If the church is the body of Christ, then it must act like Christ. I want you to hear this. If the church is the body of Christ, then it must act like Christ. The, the, this building is an awesome building. It's beautiful. I love it. I love the flow. I love how the ministry design is and how you can do so many things. But this building is not a church. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're the church. Turn to your other neighbor and say, it's time for us to start being the church. Hey, I love it. I love it. Listen, we got to stop going to church. Get out of your seats and get out into your world. Your mission field is right there. You don't need to go to Africa. Go to your neighborhood. 
Go to your workplace and be Jesus at your workplace. It's time for us to stop going to church and start being the church. And specifically, here's what I mean. I couldn't move off that couch. I couldn't hear Jesus, see Jesus, touch Jesus, nothing. But people started sending me cards. Where are you? You were here. I saw you. Maybe you're gone. There several, maybe it was last service. Oh, there you are right there. Okay, yeah. I got several cards from some of you here that were encouraging to me. I got phone calls and emails. People started speaking Jesus to me and I, because I couldn't hear. They didn't know what they were doing. But God was using them in mighty, mighty ways. My wife being the number one person, obviously, that that happened to. So what does that say for you guys? Here's what I want you to grasp. There's somebody in your life that's in the four walls of depression, four walls of, 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 of some type of addiction, four walls of divorce or financial ruin. They're in these four walls, and they can't hear Jesus, they can't see Jesus, they can't touch Jesus, and they need you to be the body of Jesus that goes to them and loves them like Jesus would love them. Amen? Amen. If you'll say amen, I'll go on. <laughs> Transition question, what influences you more, your circumstances or the Word of God? Before you answer that, I want you to think. I remember I've watched your services several times, and Pastor Rocky would stand up here with his Bible, and he'll, he'll have you guys quote this, this list of things that you believe about the Bible. You know what I'm saying? Here's my question to you. It's a great plan. It's a great thing to do. Do you believe it? And before you nod your head, yes, and I believe some of you do, don't get me wrong, but before you nod your head, here's how you know if you believe it. You believe it if it changes you, that you go out there and you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and you're doing what God wants you to do. That's when you know you believe, because you've been changed on the inside part of you, okay? And, and so that's the next principle. The next principle is based on that. You see, this passage, if you will go back to John chapter 20, in case you haven't already in your Bible, but John chapter 20, it talks about uh, uh, Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas. But Thomas's image of Jesus was obliterated. You see, everybody there thought they knew who the Messiah was and what he would do when he would come. And Jesus did none of that. Jesus came in the form of a servant. Jesus hung out with sinners. Matter of fact, they called him a wine bibber. Why did they call him a wine bibber? What did he do? He hung out with people drinking wine. He would hang out with prostitutes. All right, he hung out with sinners. And, and, and he healed people that he shouldn't heal. They didn't like Roman the Roman people, that was their enemy, but Jesus would always do something to what they would think was, and absolutely it would blow them away. And ultimately what happened? He died on a cross. Now, Messiah, you don't die on a cross. That's a disgrace, right? I can honestly say to you that this is where I was. My belief about God was obliterated. I was ready for a miracle, and the miracle didn't happen when I thought it should. I was at home. I was always a doer, and I had, had to have somebody come and mow my yard. I had to have somebody come and fill my, my tanks that we have for our fireplace. I had to have my wife drive me around all the time. I couldn't even drive myself around. She would go, honey, are you hungry? Yeah. That's it. What a great marriage she had, right? And I'm sitting here going, God, can you, you, you come on. But the final straw was this. The final straw was when I recognized how it was affecting my family. You see, my wife, it's been, it's been over a year now. Guess what? She's tired. She's, she's physically tired. She's mentally tired. And I see it, how it drains her. My, my, my son was speaking to one of his friends, and, he, and I heard him say to one of his friends, this pains me every time I say this, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to get Mark Elkins back. 
I'm never going to get my dad back. My daughter, special needs daughter, <clears throat> she goes, now who's going to wrestle with me? <laughs> this is hard for me. You know, my daughter doesn't understand. God, if you want me to walk through this, fine, but don't mess with my family. God, if you need me to be deal, that's good. I'll deal with it. I'll suck it up. I'll feel sorry for myself. But don't mess with my family. What are you doing? They didn't do anything to deserve this. I was offended at God. I was mad at God. Can I just be honest? I know I'm a pastor. But I got to the place of where Thomas was. I got to the place where I realized this. I'll write this down. God's word is greater than my circumstance. God's word is greater than my circumstance. If this resonates with you, you know what I'm talking about, but has God ever let you down? You read about the God in the Old Testament that parted the ways, that put Daniel in the lion's den and closed the mouths of the lion, but when you walk through the lion's den, you get eaten up and chewed up and spit out, and you don't find yourself experiencing the same God that you read about, and you feel disappointed, you feel like a failure, you feel all this sort of stuff. You know what I'm talking about. You get to taste a little bit of what I'm talking about. But ultimately what happens is when your mind gets blown and your heart gets blown away, broken into so many pieces, you can't put it back together. You find yourself saying these very words that Thomas said, until I touch his wounds, unless I see the scars, I won't believe. And in verse 26, look what happens. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Let me ask you this real quick. I'm going to tell you right now, at 2 o'clock this morning, I'm coming into your house, and I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to turn the lamp on at your bedside, and I'm going to say to you, peace be with you. With you knowing that I'm coming and you, me waking you up at 2 o'clock, how many of you would say this is not a peaceful moment? Would you raise your hand? The rest of you are lying. What was Jesus saying here? You see, this was not a peaceful moment. Jesus had walked through the walls. They were freaked out. And Jesus goes, peace. Why? He says, my word is greater than how you feel right now. My promise to you is bigger and stronger and overwhelming to such a degree that there's nothing in comparison. There's nothing that can come against it in victory. And the problem you're having right now is you don't believe. That's why you don't have peace. Amen? Keep preaching, brother. You're preaching good. The reality is God's word is greater than our circumstance. Look what Thomas did. Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And he put out his hand and, and, and placed it on my side. Do not believe, or do not disbelieve, but believe. Notice that Thomas' circumstance hadn't changed. But his perspective has and he falls on his faith and he says, my Lord, my God, my Lord, my God. When Jesus or when, Peter, when Thomas saw the wounds, everything else fell into place. That happened to me at one point. When I realized, when I allowed the wounds of Jesus to touch my heart, it changed me. When I recognized what Jesus had gone through... I, Sometimes we forget, sometimes we need to be reminded, and sometimes God just takes us deeper with a deeper understanding, and all three of those happened to me. All of a sudden, I get this new understanding that Jesus went through something, that he was perfect, 
And yet he willingly went through this pain and struggle. And the things that I went through or am going through are nothing in comparison to what he went through. But he did that for me. My circumstance has not changed. I still have cancer. But I want you to know I walk every day in victory. God hasn't healed me like that. But you know what the good news for me is? Every time people see me out, they see the power of God in somebody's life. And I'm good with that. I'm walking in that. I'm standing before you right now declaring that even though I have cancer, in spite of this death certificate that is on me at this very moment, I still proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the coming one. He is the living one. He is the way, the truth, the life. There's no other way to get to the Father except by him. And it's through him and him alone that you are saved. Amen. Come on, somebody. Help me out a little bit. Amen. So I'm standing at the back of the church at the end of one of our, serv- at the, at one of our services at New Heights in Middlesbrough. And we just found out news that I had two, these two new tumors. And I'm like, okay, I'm getting ready to have to go up front, but I don't want to tell them this in a way that's going to make them feel sorry or sad. I want to tell this in a way that's victorious. And God spoke to me. And he said this. He said, Mark, you remember Mark chapter 8? Write this down for me, would you? Mark chapter 8. Go back and read it. Make sure I'm, I'm telling you right because I might be wrong. I'm not, but I could be. You don't know that until you go back and look. In Mark chapter 8, there was a blind man that came to Jesus. And Jesus said, you want to be healed? And he said, yes. And Jesus reached down, got some dirt, spat on it, put it on his eyes. And then in my mind at that time, the man walked off. And he walked off and he starts looking around. And he sees people and they look like trees. And so he comes back to Jesus. And Jesus says, what do you see? And he says, I see people look like trees. So Jesus reaches down, spits on dirt again, puts it on his mouth, speaks healing to him, and he heals him. And God said, you remember that story? And I said, yeah. And he said, Mark. It's time to go back to Jesus. I said, hey, that's good. That'll preach, God. <laughs> I'm just imagine God going laughing, y'all. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I get up there and I tell our people, it's time to go back to Jesus. I want you to hear something real quick. Before I, God is not afraid of your doubts and your fears. God is not up there going, oh, I don't know if they think I believe or not. God is. Bring your doubts and your fears to the Lord. Go back to Jesus with your doubts and your fears. Okay? Because the reality is when you think God's forgotten you, you've forgotten who God is. You need to repent from that and go back and get right with God and be filled with his spirit. Some of you think faith, your, your faith's been broken or bruised or whatever the case may be. But the reality is if you'll go back to God, if you'll go back to Jesus, you'll find your faith restored. And you'll be able to believe again. How many of you need to believe again? Would you raise your hand? It's time to believe again. It's time for us to go back to Jesus. I'm going to ask Pastor Rocky if he would come on up. He's going to lead us in the time of decision. But as he's coming up, would you come back to Christ?